Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, the strong and powerful Jessica Morehouse. Jessica, are you ready to do this? I'm ready. <laughs> Excellent. Let's do this. Jessica is a millennial personal finance expert, award-winning blogger, host of the Mo Money podcast, founder of the Millennial Money Meetup, and co-founder of Rich and Fit. I'm excited to have you on. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So Jessica, tell us a little bit about your personal life and some more about your work. So I've got a very colorful background, I suppose, when people are like, oh, so you're, you know, working in personal finance. Did, you know, is that what you've always done? No, this has kind of been a, a weird, twisty path to this place in my life now. But no, originally, um, I started uh, wanting to be a filmmaker. So I went to film school, got a degree in film production from uh, SFU. And after that, I kind of took a left turn and then uh, decided I didn't want to work in the film industry and wanted to work more in maybe sales, marketing, something like that. So I worked for a newspaper in Vancouver called the Georgia Strait for about three years. And then at that point, me and my husband were getting married and we decided to change things up again and leave everything we knew in Vancouver and move to Toronto uh, just to uh, kind of have a fresh start. And there, you know, we just kind of looked at, you know, if you want to live somewhere else, where would be a good fit? And Toronto just seems like a really good place. There's a lot of opportunity there. And we had a lot of friends that were moving over there and, and loved it. So we thought we'd just, yeah, sell all of our stuff, say goodbye, and just uh, drive from Vancouver to Toronto and, and, and figure it out when we got there, pretty much. Nice. And uh, yeah, it's when I tell the story now, it does kind of seem a little ridiculous. But at the time, when you're in your mid-20s, you're like, yeah, sure, it sounds like a great idea. But no, I mean, we've been in Toronto for about four and a half years now. So it was definitely the right decision for us. And, uh, you know, since we've been here, I've worked a number of different jobs, but, and my last, uh, kind of career, I guess was in digital marketing, but, uh, now I've been kind of my own, uh, entrepreneur business person working on my brand for the past, uh, year now. And here I am as this, uh, person working in personal finance. <laughs> That's excellent. And what is it that motivated you to get into the personal finance world? I think as I got into it on a personal level, I guess, maybe seven, eight years ago now or something like that, basically right after I graduated university and realized, oh, geez, I need to you know, figure out how to pay off my student loan. I need to figure out how to not live like this broke student anymore. I want a better life. You know, How do I do this? And I was always pretty good with managing money and, and being frugal. I get that from my parents and everything like that. But there's a lot I didn't know. Uh, you know we obviously aren't taught this in schools. And so I, I felt like, oh, geez, you know, there's a lot of stuff to catch up on. So I started... Um, you know, reading personal finance books, reading blogs. And I just got so interested in it because I realized I always thought it was just about numbers or just like, oh, there's there's a right answer for everything. So, you know, once I know that, then I'm good to go. But really, it's quite complex, but also quite simple at the same time. And it's really not about just, you know, zeros and, you know, addition and all this kind of stuff. It's not about formulas at all. It really is about understanding how to achieve what you want out of life and doing some things to get yourself there. So once I kind of realized that personal finance isn't just about math, it's really about uh, achieving goals 
and being able to do things that you never thought you would be able to and living a different life. Like I used to, you know, I came from, you know, a, a family where, you know, my parents got married young, they were broke. And so they did the best they can, but we lived very frugally, uh, which I'm, I'm glad for because I learned a lot of great things out of that. But I always thought that like we always kind of had a saying in our family that like, oh, we can't afford that. And that was just something that we I got used to. And I'm like, you know, wouldn't it be great if I could say I can afford that? And uh, so that's kind of where kind of my mindset shifted that I'm like, oh, wow. So if I actually learn how to implement some of these personal finance strategies, I can actually shift so I could say I can afford that or I may not be able to afford it now but I will in years time because of saving up for it. So that really kind of got me excited about just the possibilities uh, in my life. Like, oh wow, I can afford to move to Toronto without a job. Uh, I can travel more. I can buy things that I never thought I'd be able to because uh, I'm, I'm kind of implementing some of these strategies I'm learning from these blogs and these books. I think that that's awesome being in control mm-hmm. of, of your money and understanding that, okay, even though my background came from a time when, when we always said that we can't afford that to now, mm-hmm. well, maybe I can if I really just have a better understanding of it. Nice. Exactly. Yeah. And and why why have you chosen to, to focus a lot of your attention on millennials? Well, number one, I am a millennial. Okay. <laughs> so that kind of makes it simple. But I think it's just a lot when I especially started, you know, getting into personal finance, reading these blogs and reading these books, I really liked the books, but a lot of them were focused on educating older generations. And so there's a different perspective there. I mean, I still remember like the first book I picked up, it was like, oh, you know, if you earn 8% on your investments every year, blah, 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 you know, by the time you're in retirement, you'll be a millionaire. And when I like picked up that book, I can't remember what book it was, but there's definitely a few books that said that kind of number as if it was like, oh, no big deal, 8%, that's easy to get. It was during, you know, right after the recession and I just graduated university. I'm like, who the hell is getting 8% on their investments? That does does not relate to me at all. I'm like, I'm struggling to make ends meet here. So when I started kind of reading more blogs, they were more from people, you know, in Generation Y, younger perspective that I could relate to because they were like, oh yeah, I also graduate university with a bunch of student debt during the recession and so I kind of could relate more and so that's I think again a big reason why I got into it and started my own blog because I I really responded to uh, people of my generation because we were going through the same thing so it wasn't like I felt like I was going crazy like am I the only dummy who's not making 8% of my investments right now in 2009 so I think that's why I still kind of uh, talk to that generation because I want to make sure that you know if someone my age or younger in their 20s or whatever is starting to get into this they can hopefully find me and feel like I'm a relatable person Uh, I'm not judgmental I'm all about positivity and that will hopefully kind of be a good introduction uh, for them to kind of start on their path or personal finance journey so to speak yeah I think that that's a a great and compelling reason to get into a certain kind of field is because you had some kind of personal experience with it Mm -hmm. And, and I think that I was mildly surprised to to learn in I did a little bit of research in advance of our conversation this morning that according to a PwC survey only 24% of millennials have basic financial literacy and mm-hmm. I was pretty surprised by that but maybe it That's, is a function I know it's of, scary isn't it Yeah so much of the information out there maybe it's just a little bit too much so they don't know where to begin or they get started Mm -hmm. and they're like oh forget it I'll worry about this later oh absolutely I think there's definitely the mindset of oh I'll worry about that or I don't need to worry about that stuff until I'm in my 30s when I've settled down but my 20s are all about like living it up YOLO and all that kind of (laughs) stuff which I get I get that but 
yeah, there is this kind of weird, and, and the more millennials I talk to, you wouldn't believe how many people think that, oh no, uh, it's not about starting as early as you should. It's it's really about, you know, I'll worry about it later when I'm like settled, I'm, you know, really adulting in my 30s, that's when I'll focus on that. But people realize, like they don't realize that, well, if you started it like in your early 20s, like that's a good decade of stuff that you could start implementing now that can have a huge impact on your life. But again, I think it's also, I mean, unless you're really, you know, searching for something specific in personal finance, when we, and, and, and unless they are talking to their friends or their family about it, they may never really even know that this is a whole world out there. So that's something that I've, I've definitely realized because I know I'm in a, a bit, I have been uh, in a bit of a bubble. I've had my blog for, I've been blogging for I think over six years now, maybe longer. I can't remember. It's been a while. Um, but it's like, I, so I definitely know I have an audience that are already interested in personal finance, but I'm trying to reach the people that don't even know that this is a thing, that this is something that they should focus on. Because, you know, for instance, I know nothing about makeup, really. That is a whole huge world out there. So unless I'm like searching for something specific, like what's a good, how to do eyeshadow or something like that, I would never like be part of that world or I'd never even notice that there are these YouTubers or something, you know, that do tutorials. So it's kind of the same thing. So I wanted my kind of main goal especially for this year is try to be more in places where people that aren't necessarily interested in becoming you know really invested in this personal finance world but can still learn something and hopefully implement something to better their situation nice and the answer to this question is probably right now but when should people when should mm-hmm. a young person get started with this because they're not learning it in school like, yeah. l- like like you mentioned so if you had a magic wand and, and, and you could wave it and you would say, okay, once somebody graduates or when they're in school, when when do you think they should get started? Yeah, as early as possible. I mean, I know a bunch of provinces in Canada are starting to get started with financial literacy in schools, which I think is, I mean, way delayed. I'm so glad that it's happening because, you, you know, you think of some of the things that you are taught in school. It's like, well, if we're le- learning sex ed, we should definitely learn about how to like deal with credit cards. Right. Um, <laughs> So I'm excited for that, but I'd say for anybody, it's like the moment you learn about anything related to personal finance and it kind of, you feel something, you're like, oh gosh, maybe I should, you know, look at my credit card statements more often and oh, I I think I always have a balance or maybe I should look into like, you know, if the bank I'm with is the best bank out there, just whatever it is, like absolutely right now. I am so glad looking back when I got started in this uh, seven years ago, I'm so glad I did in my early 20s. And it was definitely not a cool thing to do. No one I knew in my life was as, you know, interested in personal finance as I was in my, you know, early 20s. But I'm glad I did because now I'm so much further ahead than I thought I would be and further ahead than lots of those people, lots of those peers that I was kind of, uh, you know, at the same level with at that moment, because I did take that time to learn about how to manage my money, how to budget, how to track my spending, how to invest properly and all that kind of stuff. So basically the sooner the better. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's right. I get really bugged by, or bothered rather, it's kind of the idea of if everybody was jumping off a bridge, would, would you jump off a bridge too? And just mm. because everybody seems to be taking on a ton of student loans does mm-hmm. not mean that you should be taking on student loans as well. What mm-hmm. what advice would you give to maybe the parents of a teenager or that teenager as they're looking at college 
do they have to take out loans? Is there a way to not? I think there is a way to not. And I think there is hopefully going to be a big shift soon. So I'll give you, can I give you my backstory? So I, and I don't even know where this started, but my family has always been very against debt. My parents have never held debt besides their mortgage and maybe a couple car loans. But basically it was just very like, we don't like being in debt. It's a bad thing. And so I kind of took that, uh, you know, moving forward when I was applying for university and like, okay, this is something that I, I need to be mindful of. And uh, luckily I was allowed to go to a school uh, or I entered into a school that was close to my parents. So I lived in my parents. And then I just uh, worked uh, whenever I had you know free time at, out of school. And so I paid my own way through school and I only took a student loan my last year, my fifth year. And it was mainly, it was a $5,000 student loan. It was nothing crazy. And it was mainly because in my last year of film school, uh, I had to make a short film. And uh, even though we had some equipment uh, that was provided by the school, basically it still costs money to make a movie. And so I I needed that $5,000 basically to make my final project so I could graduate. And I hated it. I hated that I had to take it out of student loan to pay for this, but it is what it is. But still, so if I hadn't really had to do that final project, if I was in something that was just more about, you know, coursework, homework, and exams, I, I would have been able to pay for that. I understand that, you know, your, your intuition keeps rising and I did graduate about six years ago or so now, but still I was able to do it by working, uh, living within my means, living at my parents' house. So I did make a lot of choices in order to afford that. So I didn't go to, you know, a, a school out of province. So I have to live on my own that like that's expensive. So I think it is absolutely, uh, possible to go to a school and maybe live at your parents for a bit and uh, work and see how much you can pay of yourself. You may be surprised. And also it could be like, maybe you don't have to try to cram a degree into like three or four years. For me, I did it over five years because it was also more affordable. I had more time to work and save up that money to pay for school. So there's lots of things you can do. And I think just a lot of people just think, well, it's the norm. Everyone has student debt. Everyone gets a student loan. It is what it is. I also got scholarships. So that's another thing too, is like, I think a lot of students forget like, man, if you just bust your butt in high school, you can get some great scholarships some great grants that'll help you. I got my first year paid for free because I got an entrance scholarship because I made sure to study my butt off in high school. So there's lots of things you can do to avoid taking out student debt and really try to do as much as you can to avoid student debt because I'm in my 30s now and I have friends who still are paying off their student loans after, you know, 10 years or so. So the it's just I think there just needs to be a lot more yeah, education about what holding a student loan after you graduate really looks like. And what it is is it's not fun. You know, you're finally, you know, graduated, you have a job, you're making money, and guess what a big chunk of that paycheck is going towards debt debt for something that you've already experienced. And that's, and that's the, I think the main thing too with debt is I think people don't realize that you're basically paying for something that already happened. So it's, I mean, it's, it's not something exciting. It's more exciting to earn money to save for something that could happen in the future. Totally agree. And that is everything that you described, they're not necessarily the easiest choices to make, but and those, those tough choices are the choices that yeah. need to make if we're going to be financially successful. And I appreciate YOLO and, 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 and yeah. all, that, all that stuff. But <laughs> sometimes mm-hmm. I think that that's maybe where where the adults in the room should step in and, and, and give some advice. Yeah. And also, I think there's this other preconceived notion. Like for me, when I was younger, I was told you need to go to university. You need to get that degree because, you know, once you have that degree, no one can take it away from you. Glad I did it. But there are so many other avenues in order to get a well-paying job 
uh, a really great career. I know a number of people, especially like lots of people my husband went to high school with, they all didn't go to university, they went to trade school. And so they're electricians, they're elevator repairmen, they're you know plumbers, whatever. They're doing really well. They didn't get a degree. They got, you know, um, some technical training and they're living lives. I always thought, and this is like just, you know, my fault for just not looking more into it, that if you were to go in that line of work, you'd never make as much money as someone with a degree. That's not true. Absolutely not. Like these people are doing really well. They have got great careers. Uh, they're business owners because they, you know, run their own businesses now. So there's, you don't just have to go to university to, in order to have a really good, thriving career. There's so many other options out there. Definitely agree. What would your advice be to a young person who has just graduated, they found a place to live, they've now got a job, how do they get started managing their financials? Yes, uh, that's always kind of the intimidating thing. So I would say, that, so I kind of have a, a system that's been working really well for me and uh, others. So. I think a lot of people get overwhelmed with like, oh, well, gosh, where do I start? Okay, here's three things that you can do to organize your finances that you can continue to do for basically the rest of your life and you will be way more organized than the person sitting next to you. So the first thing is creating a budget. And uh, people kind of hate that term because it sounds like it's a, you know, a restriction on your spending. Um, it doesn't sound fun and who wants to budget? Okay. Let's just give budgeting a different word. I like to call it a spending plan. So basically, it really is just a plan uh, to help you allocate your money towards savings and spending. That's it. That's all it is. It's a guide. Um, and it doesn't have to dictate your life. So you're just, you know, eating ramen noodles to save, you know, a, a crazy amount of money. It's just a plan how you want to spend your money, how you want to save it, how you want to spend it. So that is the number one thing that you should create once you know what your kind of salary is and what your expenses are. The next is tracking your spending. Uh, I know lots of people don't like to do this. Uh, I, I, for years, I did not track my spending. There's definitely ways to, you know, work around it. I think a lot of people are like, well, no, I just like to, you know, basically allocate my money to my bills, my savings, and whatever is left over. That's what I spend. That is definitely something you can do. But I think just starting out is really important to track your spending. I track my spending. I have uh, diligently uh, all of 2017, me and my husband have, and I'm so glad I did because it really has changed a lot for us. We always had an idea of what we spent. We thought, oh no, I'm good with money, but sometimes we're like, wait, what's that on the credit card? Well, if you track your spending, you will know exactly where your money's going, what categories categories it's going into, uh, and how you can kind of shift your spending patterns. And so, and it's really not hard to do. I think a lot of people think that it, it's like you have to write it down or keep every single receipt. No, I, for me, I use debit and credit cards to uh, do my daily spending. And well, most of my spending, I rarely use cash. And when I do use cash, I, tr I do try to write that down in a note. So I remember. And then at the end of uh, every month, I just download uh, those kind of spending reports from my bank accounts and my credit card companies, put those into a spreadsheet. And it takes me like 10 minutes to basically track my spending. It takes no time. And then I categorize them and it looks great. And then I have a good idea of where my money's going. So we've got your budget, got tracking your spending every month. And then the last uh, element is tracking your net worth. Now, that's probably my favorite thing just because uh, it's a good motivator and it's something you, when it goes up, it's exciting. You feel like you're making progress and it's very simple. It's just basically uh, tracking what your assets are. So what, you know, how much money you have, what your investments are, and then your uh, liabilities or your debt. Once you have your assets, you minus those by your liabilities. 
and then you have the uh, net worth number. So what is your net worth? And if you track that every single month and it continues to go up because you're paying down your debt, you're uh, saving money, it's very motivating to keep on, you know, sticking with your budget and, uh, you know, being good with your money. I, I personally, that's my favorite part. <laughs> that's excellent. Jessica, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? Honestly, I have to go back to tracking that spending because I don't think it's something that you necessarily have to implement for the rest of your life. I probably will just because it's it's been a you know game changer in my life. But do it for three months and see how it makes you feel. You may realize that you're allocating a lot of your money, your hard-earned money, to things that actually don't add any value to your life. And I think that's kind of the key thing too. When you track your spending, have a good idea of where you're you're spending your hard-earned dollars. You'll see, are you actually spending it on your values or are you spending on stuff that really has nothing to do with your life, but maybe you feel like you have to spend, you know, a uh, money on coffee because all of your colleagues do, or you're spending money on clothes because you, you want to make sure you look good at the office, but really you actually don't care about clothes. So maybe just buy a couple good pieces and just like rewear them or put some like different accessories on. So I feel like when you track your spending, you have a very good understanding of where your money's going and if they are aligning with your values. And if they're not, it's easier, you know, because you have the, that information to figure out how to change your spending patterns. Well, that is great stuff. I think that that definitely warrants a come on. Come on. <laughs> so, Jessica, thank you for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Absolutely. So you can find me at jessicamorehouse.com. I also have a podcast called The Mo Money Podcast. You can find on iTunes and uh, Spotify and every place you can find a podcast. But if anyone wants to reach out to me, if they have a question, you can email me, jessica at jessicamorehouse.com. Very simple. Or uh, I'm always on Twitter. So my handle is uh, jesse, J-E-S-S-I underscore Morehouse, M-O-O-R-H-O-U-S-E. Excellent. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoy this as much as I did, show Jessica your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Thank you again, Jessica. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we're all in this together. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review, and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on.